0: Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this episode, we are covering our most recent historical figure to date, Diana Spencer, Princess of Wales. Now you may be thinking, hey Chris, Princess Diana wasn't the ruler of the UK. And to that I'll say, maybe not, but her influence on the British royal family and the world itself was very strong, and it would be a shame not to do an episode over her when taking all of that into consideration. Also, it's my podcast, so I get to decide who we cover here. Now, you may also be thinking, Hey, Chris, the Queen of England died not too long ago, isn't doing an episode over Princess Diana maybe in poor taste? It's a bit weird covering a woman who lived so recently within the grand scheme of humanity, someone who was actually alive at the time I was born no less. Now I have absolutely zero memories of the death of Princess Diana, I was three, cut me some slack, but even to this day I still read things about her from people around my age who still hold her up as one of the most important human beings of the late 20th century. Her groundedness in a world of nobility, her social consciousness and activism, it's the type of stuff you want your politicians and royalty by that extent to have but yet you see so little of it. So without further ado, let's begin the story. It's a shorter trip into history as we travel back to the UK of the 20th century in Empathy and Tragedy, The People's Princess. There's not really much need to go into a background history lesson for this episode. The United Kingdom of Diana's birth is not that drastically different from the United Kingdom of the 21st century. Queen Elizabeth II was in her ninth year as Queen of the United Kingdom and its dependencies. Diana herself was born on July 1st, 1961. She was a member of the Spencer family, an aristocratic bloodline dating back to the 15th century that held many titles and had several branch families, including that of Winston Churchill. Her father was John Spencer, the 8th Earl of Spencer and known as the Viscount Althorpe. Her mother was Frances Spencer, later Frances Shand Kidd, who was a descendant of nobility with titles in Ireland. The Spencer family had been close to the British royal family for quite some time with both of Diana's grandmothers acting as ladies-in-waiting for Queen Elizabeth's mother, who will be referred to as Queen Mother Elizabeth. Both Diana and her mother were born in Park House, which is on the estate of the Sandringham House, one of the residences of the royal family. Diana's parents, more so her father, greatly desired a son to pass on the Spencer title of nobility. Diana was the couple's third child with her two older siblings being her sisters Sarah and Jane. They had given birth to a son the year before Diana but he had died not long after being born. And even though the couple would eventually have a son, Diana's younger brother Charles, the strain of expectations for a male heir put a heavy strain on the couple's marriage. Diana even stated later in life that she doesn't think she ever heard them say, I love you. Unsurprisingly, when Diana was still relatively young, her parents separated and later divorced. During the separation, Diana was living with her mother in London. However, her father eventually won custody rights over his children, meaning they were no longer allowed to travel to London to meet their mother. Both of Diana's parents would later remarry, her mother to the heir of a successful wallpaper business and her father to Lady Rain, the Countess of Dartmouth it's said that Diana and her siblings didn't even know that her father had remarried until they saw it in the news. Diana hated her stepmother, saying that she was the reason her parents got divorced. Lady Rain also allegedly fell into every category of the evil stepmother trope as she treated the Spencer children very poorly. Overall, in Diana's own words actually, she said that her childhood was very unhappy, and very unstable. As a child, she would actually spend some of her time playing with Prince Andrew and Prince Edward, the younger brothers of her future husband, Charles. She was homeschooled for some time by her governess until she was eventually enrolled in a private all-girls school. She didn't do particularly well in school, which caused her to be ridiculed by her family. Her siblings referred to her as being a very private and shy child, but she did end up winning an award at her school for outstanding school spirit. From there, Diana continued her education at a couple different schools. Throughout this time, she was said she always felt that there was a sense of destiny within her. She was destined to do something great with her life, beyond that which was expected of her as a member of British aristocracy. And despite all that, Diana chose to live a relatively humble life. Her first jobs were not anything extravagant, no she worked as a nanny and as teachers assistants at preschools and nurseries. It seemed like she was to have a relatively simple life, but still, that sense of destiny remained. met Prince Charles, the oldest son of Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip, aka the guy who's now king, when she was 16 years old. At the time, he was dating her older sister Sarah. That relationship didn't seem to be going anywhere, so the two called it off. Also Charles was 13 years older than Diana, meaning he was almost 30 at the time. After calling off his relationship with Sarah and going through a couple other quick relationships, particularly that with Camilla Rosemary Shand, the Queen began urging Charles to find someone to marry, someone the royal family approved of. She pointed Charles in the direction of Diana. Diana was a member of the aristocracy, young, beautiful, and perfectly acceptable to be the wife of the heir apparent. The two began dating when Diana was 18 years old. After a relatively short period, Charles proposed to her meaning that she was to become a princess within the royal family. Perhaps Destiny really did have plans for Diana Spencer after all. But it was not the happy sort of life Diana was expecting. Not long after their engagement was announced, the couple were interviewed and asked about their feelings as a couple. After being asked if they were in love with each other, Diana responded that, of course they were. She was ecstatic to be with Charles. Charles, however, seemed to laugh off the question, responding with, whatever in love means. Diana would later go on record as saying that it was in that moment where she realized she had made a massive mistake. Despite that massive bummer of an interview, Diana decided to continue on with her path to joining the royal family. After quitting her job as a teacher, she lived for a while with Charles's grandmother, the Queen Mother Elizabeth, before eventually moving on to live in Buckingham Palace. Throughout all this time and what had unfortunately become her reality, Diana was incredibly lonely. Despite this horrible lifestyle she was forced into, Diana's engagement to Charles was actually a bit unique. She was the first English woman in about 300 years to be married to the original heir apparent to the throne. Queen Elizabeth's uncle had actually been king for a hot minute before he abdicated, allowing Elizabeth's father, King George VI, to be crowned. She was also the first woman to marry into the royal family who had a paying job before her wedding. So let's now jump forward to the wedding of Diana and Charles. The couple were married on the 29th of July in 1981. It was described as the wedding of the century which it kinda deserved. They were married in St. Paul's Cathedral rather than Westminster Abbey. With an audience of 3,500 guests at the wedding and an additional 750 million watching around the world on the television, the actual ceremony was lavish beyond all belief. Adjusting for inflation, the wedding cost between 50 to 85 million British pounds, about 70 to 100 million US dollars or 59 a half to 99 and a half million euros, and spare no expense and all that. Around 1.7 million pounds in 2022 pounds was spent on security alone, mostly due to thoughts of an attack by the IRA. Later in life, Diana would describe the wedding as the worst day of her life. Things did not get much better during the honeymoon. For quite some time, Diana had feared that Charles was being unfaithful in their marriage. She believed he still harbored feelings for his ex, Camilla. These beliefs were basically proven true when Diana discovered a picture of Camilla that fell out of Charles' diary. He also happened to be wearing cufflinks that were a gift from Camilla during their honeymoon. I feel like it's okay here to say that, yes, Diana was correct about Charles and Camilla. Throughout the entire time the couple were married, Charles was continuing to see his ex-girlfriend behind Diana's back. On the 5th of November, 1981, the couple announced that Diana was pregnant. Twelve weeks later, Diana fell down the stairs in the Sandringham Estate. After a meeting with the Royal Gynecologist, yes, there's a Royal Gynecologist, it was concluded that Diana and the unborn fetus would both be alright. It wasn't until much later that Diana revealed she had intentionally thrown herself down the stairs. She was neglected and made to feel inferior. I don't know whether the incident was just a cry for help or an actual attempt at suicide, but I do feel so bad for Diana being forced into that position. On June 21st, 1982, Diana gave birth to her first son, Prince William. Despite her earlier actions, it was clear that Diana loved her son. He was her world. Unfortunately, the media made that relationship her entire being. Whenever Diana and Charles were interviewed, Charles would be asked questions about policy and current events. Diana? She would be asked questions like, How's the baby, and what's it like being a mother? This continued to be the trend when, two years later, Diana became pregnant with her second child, Prince Harry. Despite the anxiety and depression that came from being a member of the royal family and the hope for its expanded future, Diana admitted she was closest to her husband while she was pregnant with Harry and despite this closeness, she decided to hide the fact that she was having a son from everyone including Charles. Perhaps it was because Charles had gone on record as saying that he wanted a daughter. Diana decided that she would raise her children as she wanted, not as the royal family desired. She had chosen their names, she chose their nanny, she helped pick their clothes for school, She even scheduled her royal duties around their schedules rather than what should have been the other way around. Her life and love had always been to children. She was not going to let the royal family take that from her, especially when it came to her own kids. But not even having two children together could save the marriage of Diana and Charles soon enough it became obvious that one of the world's most famous couples had reached their boiling point charles's relationship with camilla was still going strong deciding that if charles could have an affair she could too in 1986 diana entered into a relationship with a man named major james hewitt Rumors suddenly began flying that, due to their similar appearances, Major Hewitt was actually Prince Harry's father. Everyone has denied these rumors and it seems pretty unlikely considering the pair weren't together until after Harry was born. Over the next several years, the public became more aware of the unhappiness that underlie the marriage of the royal couple. It got so bad that the British press started referring to Charles and Diana as the Glums, which was a nod to a British comedy radio show from back in the 50s. Things became extremely tense when, in 1989, Diana confronted Camilla about her affair with Charles at a birthday party for Camilla's sister. Tensions continued rising throughout the early 90s when a biography about Diana titled, Diana, Her True Story, was released. The book sourced its information with a series of interviews Diana had recorded in 1991. These interviews documented Diana's collapsing mental state, the extramarital affairs, and all the other difficulties she had been forced into since marrying Charles. Needless to say, the book took the world by storm. The royal family was hit like a freight train, and Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip decided it was time to intervene. The Queen and her husband attempted at playing marriage counselors to Diana and Charles but they were unable to help fix the growing rift in the couple's marriage. At one point, Prince Philip wrote a letter to Diana expressing his disappointment in both her and her husband but still hoped that they were able to heal their relationship. Word of the letter got out to the public and rumors started spreading that Philip and Diana had a tense relationship but both Diana and Philip would go on record as saying that wasn't true. In 1992, the royal couple decided to separate and over the next few years, more and more behind-the-scenes looks into Diana and Charles' marriage became public. One such bit of information was Diana's relationship with one of her bodyguards, Barry Maniche, during the mid-to-late 80s. According to Diana, the pair never actually surpassed anything more than just friends but she also admitted that she was only happy when he was around, so many people think she was in love with him. After Charles found out about Diana and Maniche's relationship, he had the bodyguard fired. Soon after his termination, Barry Maniche was killed in a car accident. Rumors ran abound that his death had been orchestrated by the Royal Secret Service. On top of all that, Diana learned about Manikey's death from Charles when they were on their way to the Cannes Film Festival, mere moments before she would have to step out in front of an audience. In 1995, Diana once more spoke about her struggles with mental health, suicidal thoughts, and bulimia during an interview with the BBC. She once more accused Camilla of ruining her marriage but also suggested that Charles wasn't fit to be the King of England. The interview was the final strike for the royal family. Queen Elizabeth wrote a letter to Diana and Charles insisting that the couple get divorced. In July of 1996, Diana and Charles finalized the terms of their divorce. Diana would no longer be allowed to be addressed as Her Royal Highness, the address given to a prince or princess, but she would still be referred to as Princess Diana considering she was the mother of Prince William one of the heirs to the British crown. After many years of hell, Diana was finally free to live her life. After her divorce from Charles, Diana briefly dated a man named Hasnat Khan, after their relationship ended, she moved on to date Dodi Fayed, the Egyptian son of billionaire Mohamed Fayed, a man who happened to be richer than the Queen, by the way. Dodi Fayed was also a successful movie producer, having produced both Chariots of Fire and Hook. The couple got together in the summer of 1997. Their relationship was considered pretty controversial in the eyes of the royal family. Even though Diana was no longer married to Charles, she was still the mother of two princes. The family was worried that, should Diana and Dodi's relationship continue on and they have children, a future king's half-sibling would be a Muslim person of color. I'm gonna avoid the obvious elephant in the room until the end of the episode so we can move forward. Late in the summer of 97, Diana accepted an invitation from Fayyad's family to vacation with her sons in southern France. Diana still had to get permission from the royal family's security team whenever she wanted to bring her sons out of the country. She had needed to cancel recent plans for both America and Thailand due to this. Luckily, the Fayyad family's personal security team and protected property was enough to allow her to bring along William and Harry. And then we get to August 31st, 1997. Diana and Fayed had been staying at the Ritz Paris Hotel, which back then and even now is owned by Mohamed Fayed. Knowing that the paparazzi were waiting to swarm them in the lobby, Fayed had a fake team drive away pretending to be the couple in order to lure away photographers. And even though they left out of the rear exit of the hotel, the paparazzi still ended up following Diana and Fayette's car. Their driver was a man named Henri Paul, a member of the Fayette family's security detail. Some sources report that he had been drinking earlier. Others say that he couldn't have possibly been doing that since he was on the job. It was the very early hours of the morning, technically still the middle of the night as it was around half an hour past midnight. The couple's black sedan was outrunning the paparazzi and entering into the Alma Bridge underpass. For some reason, the security cameras that would usually survey the area in the underpass were down. Cameramen on motorcycles were reported as having swarmed the vehicle just before it entered the underpass. The sedan was driving almost twice the speed limit, 105 kilometers an hour, about 65 miles an hour. There was a crash. The car collided with a support beam in the tunnel. Out of the four people in the car, Diana, Dodi-Fayed, Henri-Paul, and a bodyguard named Trevor Reese Jones, only Reese Jones survived. At the young age of 36 years old, Princess Diana had died. Her funeral was on September 6th. It was televised all over the world and reported as having been watched by somewhere between two to two and a half billion people making it one of the most watched events of all time it just goes to show how influential and popular diana spencer had been as a person and i wish i could end this section here i should but i should also talk about the rumors that surround the car crash that killed diana There have been so many over the years. As I mentioned before, some people think that Henri Paul was drunk and crashed the car due to the influence of alcohol. As of 2009, blood reports confirmed that he had been drunk at the time of the accident. Did his intoxicated state cause the accident? I can't say for sure. But, the most pervasive rumor is that Diana's death was orchestrated by either the Royal Family or MI6, the British Foreign Intelligence Agency. Ever since she had gotten married to Charles, Diana's life had basically painted a giant red X on the Royal Family as an abusive group of aristocrats. Are they? Well, the conspiracy theories say that it was just better for House Windsor to have her out of the picture. That would also explain why security cameras were down, as well as why it took the ambulances an unreasonably long time to arrive on the scene. I don't want to entertain much more of that topic, though. Diana's death was a terrible accident that was almost certainly caused by the presence of the paparazzi interfering with Henri Paul's ability to drive. Even in recent years, Prince Harry has decried the paparazzi, as he should, as being the cause of his mother's death we should actually talk about all the good diana did for the world she was much more than just a princess like i said she had always felt like she had a destiny to do something great while she might have originally thought it was marrying charles her actual destiny extended far beyond the royal family far beyond the borders of the uk in fact diana was massively involved with charities and organizations that promoted helping those suffering from health conditions both physically and mentally throughout the late 80s up until her divorce was finalized probably due to a lack of finances as she was technically no longer royalty diana helped fund and even lead dozens of charities all over the world and actually she was supposed to go to a charity event right after she was supposed to get back from her vacation in france part of diana's duties as a member of the royal family was sometimes visiting the sick and injured in hospitals this had usually been a procedural activity that had developed during the 20th century you go in see how a patient is doing keep at it mate stiff up her lip move on however diana was different from the other royals She would sit down on the bed of the patients she visited, if permitted, sometimes even held their hand. Her goal in life was to make sure that those suffering from injuries, illness, or disabilities knew that someone was there to support them. One of the major health conditions Diana is most often linked with is HIV-AIDS. During the heightened panic of the AIDS crisis in the 80s, most people didn't want to associate with people infected with the virus. Diana chose to face those afflicted, even touching them, which back then was not something you did because it was in the public consciousness that that was how you get HIV or AIDS, just from touching someone. By the way, that's not how AIDS and HIV works. It was her goal to destigmatize the virus. Diana was quoted as saying, HIV does not make people dangerous to know. You can shake their hands and give them a hug. Heaven knows they need it. What's more, you can share their homes, their workplaces, and their playgrounds and toys. She continued helping out even when the royal family suggested she stop putting herself forward, essentially as the face of the AIDS crisis. Diana refused. She even opened up the first hospital ward in the UK specifically for the treatment of HIV-AIDS. Also, because AIDS was, again, mostly in the public consciousness, a virus that was affecting gay men, even to this day, a lot of people in the queer community still think of Diana as a worthy icon of their community. Other conditions she was very closely associated with when it came to charity work and hospital funding were cancer and leprosy. Even to this day, the Diana Princess of Wales Memorial Fund still helps fund research and hospital units for these conditions. Besides charity work and helping to destigmatize health conditions, one of Diana's passion projects was helping to remove landmines and other dangerous debris left behind by the wars in Europe. She partnered with the Halo Trust, a non-profit organization with that same goal, in order to help spread awareness of these efforts. Some members of the British government issued statements condemning Diana's activities, insisting that she was messing with a political problem she didn't understand. Nevertheless, she persisted. Diana spoke publicly on the matters in both the UK and America. Her ability to bring the issue into the light of day helped international laws be passed that worked to eliminate these dangerous artifacts. In 1997, the Ottawa Treaty aka the Convention on the Prohibition of the Use, Stockpiling, Production and Transfer of Anti-Personnel Mines and on their Destruction was eventually passed in 164 countries, notably not by China, Russia and the United States. When the bill was brought forward to the British Parliament for deliberation, the Foreign Secretary paid tribute to Diana during the reading. Even one of the last things Diana did before that eventful vacation to France was visiting Bosnia and Herzegovina to meet with members of the Landmine Survivors Network. Diana did so much good for the world. She realized that she was in a position that gave her a great deal of public spotlight and power and used those abilities to spread information on causes that helped others. It's what anyone in that situation should be doing. I'm sure she would have been able to do much more if she was still alive today. But her legacy for charity lives on. Both Prince William and Prince Harry are heavily involved with charities and public causes because that was how their mother taught them to live. Princess Diana did not deserve the unfair hand life dealt her. The abuse, the infidelity, and still she was able to make a meaningful difference. Her ability to go out among the people and show them that she too was a human being forever changed the monarchy. Before her, they were untouchable. Now the royals of Britain have a much more public side to them. However, that obviously doesn't make them perfect. Maybe it's the American in me, but I really don't care for the British royal family. Even with all the strides they've made to honor Diana, they obviously haven't learned their lesson. The situation is different, but we basically saw history replay itself when Prince Harry became engaged to Meghan Markle. The abuse, the outright racism about what their children would be like. Like, I'm really glad they decided to get out of it all. And even though Diana also got out of the royal family, it didn't change her life because of the one other factor that constantly surrounded her. The status of being a celebrity. But maybe that's a conversation for a different show. She was taken too soon. Like I said before, who knows what she could have done if Diana Spencer was still alive today. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, we're traveling to ancient China to talk about an emperor whose reign became entangled in one of the most corruptive powers ever. Love. It's the story of Emperor Ai of the Han Dynasty.